North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, 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 everyone. Dr. Low Radio coming at you once again. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm really excited about tonight's show. This is a, a guest who I've been hounding. I've been trying to get him on my show for a while. And you know what? Persistence is key. That's all I have to say about that. So I'm really looking forward to our, our guest tonight and our topic. And it, it kind of ties into last week's show. We had a Dr. Thomas O'Brien talking about the brain uh, effects of gluten. And tonight we're going to be taking it a much further into brain health and all the things that affect the brain. And uh, before I introduce our guest for tonight, a few announcements I want to give you guys. Uh, number one is next week we're going to be doing a different uh, show time than normal. Normally my shows are obviously you know Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. We're going to be doing a show next Wednesday at 9 in the morning, and it's to accommodate my guest, Allison Armstrong. Allison Armstrong from understandmen.com. She is a really inspirational lady. She's created a company called PAX, which is really dedicated to creating peace between men and women. And it's all about educating yourself about relationships and understanding, especially for women, how to understand the men in your life, whether it's your husbands, your fathers, your you know, brother, your sons, really understanding men because they're wired differently than we are. Bottom line, we're all diff- we're different from each other and there's ways to really help the men in your life shine and also create boundaries for you as a woman and being able to express what you need and taking care of yourself. So that's going to be a really incredible show. So next Wednesday at 9 o'clock, if you guys have any questions regarding relationships, this is the lady to ask. I mean, she is like the guru when it comes to relationships. So if you have any questions you'd like to submit before the show, I would love to get them from you. Go to my website, drlaurennoel.com. Shoot me a message and and, um, send me your question, and we'll make sure we get that asked on the air. Okay, so it's going to be an awesome show. So won't have the regular scheduled show next week. It'll be on Wednesday. Uh, Let's see here. If you're not on the newsletter list, definitely go on there and sign up. I send out email updates drlaurennoel.com and sign up for the newsletter there. And of course, join the Facebook page, facebook.com slash drlaurennoel and twitter.com slash drlaurennoel. And tonight's show, just just curious, are you guys losing your memory? Can you not focus or concentrate? Do you have brain fog? Do you tire mentally easily? Have you lost motivation? All of these are related to your brain possibly degenerating quicker than than it should be. And, you know, modern diets, stressful lifestyle, environmental toxins, all of these take their toll on the brain, and they're so, so, so common nowadays. And this isn't just happening to seniors. This isn't just something for grandmas and grandpas. This is even young kids are experiencing these issues, and there's so much that has to do with it. And the, the, the man tonight on the show, he really has done so much research in looking into this, and so he's able to really teach us what he has discovered using, you know, obviously treating clients or treating um, patients, but also with the tons, hundreds and thousands of hours of research he's done. And, you know, brain degeneration affects millions of Americans, and the destruction, it sets in years or even decades before an actual diagnosis like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis. And so, you know, identifying the clues 
years and years and years ahead of time can prevent these diseases from setting in. And so that's what this show is all about and empowering you of how you can, you know, really intervene using nutrition and lifestyle and, you know, nutritional therapy. So that's what the show is all about tonight. So we have Dr. Datis Karazian on the show. He has spent more than a decade teaching several thousand hours of postgraduate education uh, of chronic illness, autoimmune disorders, and complex neurological disorders all over the world to healthcare providers. He's trained thousands of healthcare professionals in an evidence and physiological-based model of clinical practice. He's published numerous professional papers, postgraduate course manuals, and professional journal articles about functional medicine, nutrition, laboratory analysis, and case studies. He's also on the editorial board of the Journal of Functional Neurology. He's written the uh, recent book, Why Isn't My Brain Working? It just was released, so check it out at brainhealthbook.com. And the best-selling thyroid book, Why Do I Still Have Thyroid Symptoms When My Lab Tests Are Normal? So this book, the thyroid book, was, is still the number one running thyroid book on Amazon for the last three years. So it is obviously a hit because so many of us are dealing with thyroid issues, including myself, so I can really speak to that personally. So Dr. Krasian, thank you so much for joining me on the show, and welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, hey, what's new, by the way? You still live in my neck of the woods? Do you still live in North County, San Diego? Yes, I still live in North County in, in Carlsbad, San Diego. Cool. So you're really <laughs> close by. Awesome. Are you still um, giving lots of different lectures? I think you have one coming up here pretty soon, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, finished one this weekend. I mean, I'm always on the road uh, teaching. It's just uh, part of my life. So, yeah, sooner or later I'm teaching something uh, somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing I love about how you've structured your practice is is you provide, you, you really make boundaries to where you can do all of this research and still work with patients, right? You do kind of one week on seeing patients, one week off doing research. Isn't that how you kind of structure it? Yeah, so the way my office works is I I realized a long time ago that I really needed time to digest and to evaluate cases. So for me, I only work with chronic patients, so I really need uh, a week to research, look information up, and and try to just figure out cases. And uh, a lot of times I'll have patients um, send me their case information way ahead of time. So a lot of times uh, I need to evaluate things because... They're pretty rare conditions, and I need to try to find a mechanism to improve quality of life. So having that uh, one week to see patients and one week to to do research has been uh, the only way I can really serve my patients efficiently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't really do it in between patients while you're trying to finish up chart notes real quick. It doesn't really work that way. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit of, you know, what has you in this field? You know, I know for many of us, we've had our own personal health issues, and that's why we specialize in what we do. I mean, for myself, digestive issues, thyroid issues, I've had it all myself. That's why I do what I do, and I can really empathize with patients. So for you in this whole realm of, you know, uh, chiropractic neurology and, um, you know, you've written the thyroid book, and now in this realm of of brain health, I mean, what had you choose this as, as a focus for your practice and also ultimately writing this book? Well, I think for me, um, the reason I wrote the thyroid book initially because all the principles with thyroid are just so outdated that there's so much uh, what we call folklore natural medicine, meaning the same uh, information gets regurgitated back and forth, and and there's really a lack of implying what's in the research into practice. So 
Uh, in the past, for example, thyroid had just been blamed on simple nutrient deficiencies, specifically iodine, but the research really shows that it was, was autoimmune. And for me personally, I didn't really get far with uh, thyroid patients until I really addressed the autoimmunity aspect of it. So the purpose of writing mm-hmm. the thyroid book initially was just to share that information with the public. And uh, and then as time went on, there's another area that uh, is just uh, a void in the healthcare system, and that's brain degeneration. And many people suffer from brain degeneration, and unfortunately we don't have much attention placed on it with either conventional healthcare or alternative healthcare. So my attempt to write to write this brain book was really to show how brain imbalances can cause digestive dysfunctions, they can cause uh, changes in mood, they can change motivation, they can impact blood sugar levels, and and really really put to light that how important it is to address these things early on and really empower the patient to really understand key concepts and put all the research together for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like in, in conventional medicine, the brain is just like a majorly missed organ. You know, I mean, we have doctors who specialize in hormones and, you know, um, doctors like who specialize in, you know, blood disorders and, um you know, urologists and this and that. And really people don't, like a conventional doctor really doesn't address brain unless they're really suspecting there's actual lesions in the brain or if someone really needs to be sent to a neurologist to look into an actual pathology. You know, why do you think this is a case where they're not really looking at like functional imbalances in the brain and, and, you know, um, really looking at optimizing brain function? Well, I'll go one step further. I would say that it's not just conventional. It's also alternative. Most alternative people mm-hmm. don't understand the brain. I can guarantee you we can go to a room full of alternative healthcare practitioners, give a piece of paper, and try to draw the brain and name the lobes, and I guarantee you most people wouldn't be able to do that. So I think for mm-hmm. the most part, even in alternative medicine, people have simplified it to taking things like tryptophan or essential fatty acids or just very, very trivial, limited things. So I don't think it's just a conventional issue. I think it's a it's a healthcare issue that that both conventional and alternative uh, healthcare practitioners just don't have much understanding, training, or applications to brain. So mm-hmm. in the conventional model, obviously we know we're looking at end stage disease, and and part of the problem is that there's not really much they can do for it. So when you look at the medical specialties and you look at the outcome of uh, how effective each specialty is. The specialties in medicine that have the worst outcome, uh, first is psychiatry, and then second only to neurology. So when we look at this, we know that when someone has a psychiatric or neurological problem, that the model of just giving them a, let's say, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor or a various neurochemical agent has very little effect, and there's really no effort ever placed to try to improve the health of the brain. It's just this simple model of trying to make a neurotransmitter last a little bit longer in the synapse. And at the end of the day, when people have depression or people can't focus, um, these are really signs that the, the health of the brain itself is impaired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's 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 huge. I mean, I can even remember back to naturopathic school. I don't remember learning anything really, you know, related to what's in your book. I mean, we learned about different neurotransmitters and things, but like ways to really optimize brain function and prevent, you know, those issues from showing up. And once, of course, they set in, what can we actually do now? There's not an actual pathology showing necessarily, but what can we do to address this? So, you know, your book is really, really helpful. And by the way, I just want to thank you for your thyroid book. I use it all the time in practice with patients, so it's it's made my job a lot easier. So thank you for that. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, so I think we do. We, yeah, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, regarding the brain, so let's kind of jump in, you know, um, let's take a step back and just look at, at, at general brain health and, you know, how a brain should should normally function and where that goes awry so often and, you know, what are some of the main um, the main imbalances that you're seeing? So for me, when I, when I put together the book, the book ended up becoming 20 chapters. And <laughs> these chapters are all there to really identify certain mechanisms for the brain, meaning that we don't want to just say, here's good nutrition for the brain, and if you do that, everything is perfect. So we know that the brain can fail if there's blood sugar problems. We know the brain can fail if there's poor circulation. We know the brain can fail if there is intestinal inflammation. We know the brain can fail if there's uh, autoimmunity, and then, you know, and so on and so on. And the goal that I really wanted to, to do with this book was to really discuss mechanisms because I think in the world of natural medicine, everything gets simplified to, here, take this herb for this condition or try to eat these foods for the brain, and that's just not really clinically efficient. So mm-hmm. what I did in, in this book was I uh, started each chapter with a list of symptoms. So, for example, if someone has brain inflammation, you know, these are the list of symptoms. If someone has an imbalanced uh what we call brain-gut access or gut-brain access, uh, these are the symptoms. And that way the, the patient can really start to understand mechanisms that are more important. And, and to be honest with you, at this point in my career, I've, I've almost become completely frustrated with, with all healthcare practitioners. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to educate the patient directly. You know, I mean, we right. have really an healthcare practitioner out there, but we just have the same regurgitated, simple model over and over again. And in the world of brain and nutrition, it's just very simple, basic nutrients and really a complete uh, lack of looking at mechanisms that can really impact brain health itself. So it's not just a nutritional deficiency people have, but usually mechanisms that uh, make their brain uh, unhealthy and then degenerate faster. Sure. And, and you know, people are, are complex. You know, you can't use cookie cutter medicine for for people because we're just we're just complex like that. Everybody's so different, so it's really bringing an art to the medicine, which is which is so great. And let's let's jump into actual things that people experience. This is really you know practical for the the, the listeners. I think many of my listeners are doctors, but a lot of them are, are just you know average public that don't know you know a ton of the the medical terminology. And so making it really practical is really helpful. So let's go into just you know some of the symptoms like brain fog, just feeling really in a fog. What could be going on with that? So brain fog typically, can, it, brain fog could be a lot of things, but typically mm-hmm. we associate that with uh, inflammation of the brain. When brain is inflamed, nerve conductance goes down, or the speed of how neurons communicate with each other goes down. And when the speed of how neurons communicate with each other goes down, many people explain that as, as brain fog. They, they have a thought, but they really can't get to it. And um, most of the time when we see brain fog, it's usually secondary to inflammation somewhere else in the body. Sometimes it's a consequence of a head injury, but a lot of times just the inflammatory diets, uh, gastrointestinal inflammation can, can create things like brain fog. And many times, sometimes when people change their diet and uh, and improve, let's say, their intestinal health or go on anti-inflammatory protocol for a few weeks, uh, they can see their brain fog go away. And this is this is really interesting because... We know that when people have inflammation in the brain, they're not going to respond to a antidepressant that works with a neurotransmitter pathway. So a lot of times when people have brain-based inflammation, they tend to get depression, they lose the ability to focus and concentrate. And when they approach uh, the conventional model, they typically are given a, a medication that works on a neurotransmitter level, but doesn't, that doesn't really block the inflammation. 
and even in alternative medicine, sometimes they, if people have brain fog and depression, they may be given things like tryptophan or things uh, like that, very simple type of things, and it doesn't really seem to have a huge impact on it. In the literature today, um, there's a lot of research going on to what they call the cytokine model of depression. And the cytokine model of depression just means inflammation itself is causing brain. So inflammation releases these proteins called cytokines, and these cytokines tend to dampen nerve conductance or the speed of having to have nerves fire. So it's really interesting that there's papers now being published that are linking, for example, intestinal permeability to uh, depression. And when they put people on an anti-inflammatory diet and support their uh, intestinal permeability or their intestinal health, that uh, depression goes away. So it's, it's very fascinating to see where this is going. So brain fog is a very, very common uh, clinical phenomenon. A lot of patients suffer from it. But it should also be a red flag that there's a fire in the brain. And if there's a fire in the brain, there's accelerated neurodegeneration. So if people are walking around with, with brain fog every day, they should really be a bit concerned because they may really have uh, just a very, very, very fast rate of uh, uh, neurodegeneration. And those things need to be addressed uh, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. What about for the people listening who are identifying with this, that they can't right now afford to actually see a doctor? What are a few things that they can do right away to improve the, the whole brain fog issue? Well, I think uh, there's the first thing you want to do is just kind of evaluate your diet and just look at your whole body. Does, do you have joint pain? Does your body hurt? Do you ache? And if those are things that you suffer from, then we know that you're inflamed. So just a basic anti-inflammatory diet sometimes completely changes that and it doesn't really cost much. And the the easiest way to do an anti-inflammatory diet is just to go off inflammatory foods. And guidelines uh, with food diets such as like paleo diet where people are eating vegetables and fruits and meats and really avoiding gluten and dairy and processed foods tend to immediately have an impact for most people. So really inexpensive and uh, usually very effective. Mm-hmm. Now, what about uh, dosing for um, for fish oil? I mean, we, we know omega-3s are so incredibly important. What's like a, a pretty good dosage for people listening to improve their brain function? What kind of dosing would you would you recommend? Well, when you look at fish oils, we know that each study that keeps coming out shows more is better. And not everything in the world of nutrition more is better, but it seems to be that with, with different types of essential fatty acids. And uh, when you look at just nutrition for brain, one of the things we know is we can't determine dosage by symptoms. We can't determine dosage by age or body composition. That each person is unique to itself. So the mm-hmm. you know ideal dose would be five to ten thousand uh, mill you know ten thousand uh, milligrams of let's say fish oils EPA or DHA per day. Uh, that can be rather expensive at times for some people. It really depends on patients' um, needs. Sometimes patients will notice a certain dose that really makes them feel feel more uh, mentally clear. And if they go in the, above that dose, they don't really notice any extra benefits. So, for example, let's say someone took 2,000 milligrams of uh, fish oils and they noticed they had uh, clear mental function. But if they went to 3,000 or 4,000, they didn't really notice any difference in taking 2,000 milligrams. So a lot of times with nutrition mm-hmm. for brain, whether it's essential fatty acids or different types of botanicals or nutrients or amino acids, we really don't have a, a dose. It's all guess. It's all guesswork right. because the brain itself is very unique for each individual. 
Right, right. That's why one of the things I love about when I go to the Apex seminars where you're teaching is that there's not one set dosage for all these supplements. It's like you you keep, you know, increasing the amount until you get the desired effect. So I think it's just great of like actually listening to the patient, you know, what they're actually dealing with. So really good stuff. Um I'm curious about the whole autoimmunity issue. I mean, it's such a huge hot topic right now, and I think so much of it is popularized from some of the work you've been doing and just spreading the awareness to different doctors. Talk a little bit about autoimmunity and the brain. Well, autoimmunity is growing rapidly, according to the American Autoimmune Disease Related Association. 50 million Americans have a known autoimmune disease, and statistics are showing 1 in 12 women and 1 in 25 men have an autoimmune disease. And the rates of autoimmune disease are greater than cancer and cardiovascular disease combined. So this is a growing epidemic, and it's only getting worse, and it's starting at younger ages. And we can see manifestations of autoimmunity as conditions uh, such as autism. So in the immunology world, for example, they consider autism an, an autoimmune disease because these children have neurological antibodies. They have antibodies to their own brain, or the immune system is now tagging their brain for destruction. So when we look at um, the brain, the brain is very susceptible to autoimmunity. And one of the things that is most associated with triggering brain autoimmunity has been gluten. And uh, gluten has been shown to cause cross-reactivity with certain tissues of brain. So cross-reactivity means an amino acid sequence is, is close from one protein structure to the other, that they share three, three amino acids in sequence. So gluten has been shown to have structural similarities to a protein in neurons called synapsin, and gluten has been shown to have structural similarity to a part of the brain called the cerebellum. And gluten has been shown to have structural similarity to an enzyme in the brain that makes GABA called glutamic acid decarboxylase, or we call it GAD for short. So one of the things that's really churned on um, brain autoimmunity has just been gluten sensitivity. We also know that some research has been showing that when the blood-brain barrier breaks down, that the brain is very, very susceptible to autoimmunity. And the blood-brain barrier is just basically some cells called astroglial cells and blood vessels that protect the brain from uh, large proteins and particles and, and antigens from coming into the brain. But this blood-brain barrier has been shown to be uh, very susceptible to chronic stress. Chronic stress degrades the blood-brain barrier. Inflammation degrades the blood-brain barrier. Head trauma degrades the blood-brain barrier. And when people start to lose their blood-brain barrier, they're at very, very high risk for the development of brain autoimmune disease. So when people start to get brain autoimmune disease, many times it's very subtle that they just have chronic inflammation and they notice that their brain starts to not function as well as they did. And if eventually if it gets bad enough, they may finally be diagnosed with something like multiple sclerosis. And, and at that point, they're probably having some pretty significant loss of function. Mm-hmm. If someone has leaky gut, is there a correlation that they have leaky brain? Right. That's another That's another uh, understanding of uh, some of these connections. So with the work of Fasano, who's one of the main researchers who discovered zonulin, that they found that when the intestinal tangjunction uh, gets compromised, that there's a release of zonulin in the bloodstream. And zonulin is this protein that opens up not only the intestinal barrier, but the, the blood-brain barrier. So now there are links to what they call the gut-brain access and gut-brain autoimmunity, whereas a person develops intestinal permeability that they also can develop blood-brain barrier permeability, or uh, you know the slang is leaky, leaky gut equals leaky brain. So 
We know that when people start to have intestinal permeability that they also may have uh, brain permeability. When they get brain permeability, intestinal permeability, there's major risk for the development of neurological autoimmunity. And many people have it. They just never get evaluated for it. And those are pretty easy to test. You just check for brain-related antibodies. And if someone has high levels of brain-related antibodies, it really may explain why their brain is deteriorating so quickly. And it doesn't really fit the classical conventional neurological diseases for for years and years and years until it may progress into uh, a disease such as MS or something. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. For those of you guys who just tuned in, we are talking to Dr. Datis Karazian, the author of the brand new book, Why Isn't My Brain Working? If you guys would like to call and ask a question, you have a great great opportunity to do so right now. Dr. Karazian normally just speaks to um, doctors and does uh, trainings with doctors, so this is a really great opportunity. The number is 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. If you already are on the switchboard and you'd like to ask a question, go ahead and press 1 and I will bring you on the air. So, Dr. Krasi and Dr. K, on your website you write about um, there's a little um, little feed that's that's has a few different headlines coming up, and one of them says laziness and lack of motivation can be a brain disorder. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, well, motivation and drive is the frontal cortex. It is the prefrontal cortex, and it's uh, it's dopaminergic activity. So. One of the things that people sometimes think is that personality is really someone's personality and has nothing to do with, with physiological function, but motivation and drive or prefrontal cortex and this area of the brain is, is uh, activated by the neurotransmitter dopamine. So when you see people who have dopamine-related issues or people who have prefrontal cortexes that aren't working, they can't get motivated, they can't... Uh, drive themselves to do anything. They they may push themselves to start some task, but they can't finish a task. And they really become, in a sense, inefficient in life. And, you know, one of the key things about brain function is the, the better your brain functions, the more things you can do and accomplish in life, the more you can appreciate life, the more you can um, learn and do things and enjoy things like taste and smell and, and art appreciation and sound appreciation. So whenever we see people that start to have um, brain decline, it's really easy to see people that lose their motivation and drive. You know, when you see, like, for example, the 42-year-old still living at home who's never really, really had a job, that's brain-based. That is a brain that is not firing, you know. So many times these things get uh, ignored as personality issues, but it's unfortunate because if they can have their brain turned on, they may have a completely different life. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that, for someone who's listening, is going, that's me, I lack motivation, I lack motivation, and, and I'm lazy, you know, what are, what's something that they can do to help to, you know, make that part of the brain fire? Well, in the book, we just we have a whole chapter on dopamine and really goes into some of the things in, in much detail. But for the most part, they're also it's also very difficult when you when dealing with people that have that because they may not be able to motivate motivate themselves all the way through. In, in my practice, mm-hmm. whenever I see patients that have those lack of motivation and drive issues, it's an immediate clinical red flag because I know, despite their best intentions, wanting to do things to improve themselves. But if they don't have family members to understand it, they really don't go far. So mm-hmm. for me, usually when I get to evaluate cases, um, before before patients come in, I have them send me some information. I call a case review. I ask a bunch of questions. If I see a, a dopamine-related motivation issue, I always request that a family member be with them during the exam and report of findings because I will neither help to get them through. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. one of the 
terrible things with people that have low motivation and drive and low dopamine is they just may not be able to push themselves to to make much of a difference. One of the most Mm. important things with that, however, as as an easy takeaway, is just blood sugar stability. That one of the things that we know is that in order to make dopamine, we have to carry precursors to the brain through a transport system called the Lord's Neutral Amino Acid Transporter, LNNA. And this transporter system is completely skewed in uh, abnormal blood sugar states. So if people eat a meal and they get tired afterwards or have insulin surges, they're actually inefficient in their their uh, physiological ability to make dopamine in the brain. So mm-hmm. easy, simple thing is just to follow guidelines of, of stabilizing uh, per a person's blood sugar, not to overeat and pass that after every single meal and making sure that they eat frequently enough so they don't pass out from the blood sugar being low. If they can keep their blood sugar level right. stable, that has uh, pretty profound impacts in, in at least helping their uh, precursor amino acids that are necessary to make dopamine actually cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know one thing you stress in your trainings is have breakfast with protein. You know, eat throughout the day, have sufficient protein throughout the day. It's huge. I know a lot of people, especially in the paleo community, are big proponents for intermittent fasting and, you know, going for long periods of time without food. And that's great and great and all if you have zero stress in your life and you have perfect, you know, metabolic control and everything. But if but if there's stress and you don't have really great insulin control, I mean, doing that is not the best idea. So having, you know, meals throughout the day, even snacks, is, is a great idea to keep that blood sugar balanced, right? Absolutely. Many, many brain disorders can just be corrected just by people stabilizing the blood sugar. About 25 mm-hmm. to 30% of the body's glucose is used by the brain. The brain's only 2 to 3 pounds, so it uses mm-hmm. almost a third of the body's glucose. So there's, of course, going to be consequences to brain when people don't stabilize their blood sugar. So if you have someone who's mm-hmm. got brain fog or he's got depression or he can't motivate, who can't think and concentrate, a lot of times just getting blood sugar stable is, is a key critical thing. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. in the conventional system that gets completely ignored and they just hand out the antidepressants like candy and many times in the alternative uh, uh, model they they do like completely useless tests like urinary neurotransmitters or just start to try to load people up with different botanicals and different amino acids but if a person doesn't have glucose going to brain there's no way their brain is going to get over a basic level of function it needs to deal with depression and brain fog and concentration issues. So in the book mm-hmm. itself, we really have a, a whole chapter focused on identifying uh, blood sugar imbalances that a person may have and, and then strategies to change their diet and their nutrition to see if they can get that under control. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, once and for all. All right, so we're going to open up the phone lines here. If you'd like to call and ask a question, it's 818-495-6919. Take our first caller here, caller from the 760. You are on Dr. Lowe Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Dr. Lowe. This is Kathleen from San Marcos, California. Hello, Kathleen. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I'm, um, this is so fascinating. I can't wait to get your book. Um, great. Thank you, Kathleen. Actually, I've got a few, but I'll just ask you one. Um, Alzheimer's, is that something that you think is often misdiagnosed and can maybe be better addressed through nutrition style or? Well, I think Alzheimer's is one of the biggest concerns people have as they get older, and it's an absolute fact that as we age, we have increased risk for it. The biggest issue is that people get diagnosed way, way, way too late, and they get diagnosed at a point where 
there's very little that can be done. So we know for the most part that, in the, in the sense that what people really have is dementia. Dementia being the ability to to not remember things, to not remember episodes, to not remember facts, to not remember where they live, to forget people's faces. And uh, once they have that, it's very hard just from their history to determine if it's Alzheimer's or other various forms of dementia. But at the end of the day, it's this dementia. It's, it's an area of the brain called the medial temporal lobe, and it's degenerating. Now, the most important thing about that is you want to address those things early. So when people have poor memory and they walk into rooms and they forget why and they can't remember a simple grocery list and they forget events, those are all Mm -hmm. red flags for that part of the brain not working well. Those are not personality things, and many times people blame those on aging, but those those are symptoms of the area of the brain, the medial temporal lobe, degenerating away. So the most important thing is to really jump on top of this stuff from the very, very beginning. And as soon as a person starts to lose their memory and their focus and their concentration and their recall, that that specific tension be given to them. Now, that part of the brain is, is uh, an acetylcholine-based system. So the neurotransmitter acetylcholine is really critical to make a difference there. And just to just give something to, to provide some help here as uh, easy application, the botanical huperzine has been shown to increase acetylcholine activity in the brain. It makes the acetylcholine receptor more sensitive. It allows acetylcholine to hang out in what they call the synaptic cleft, the space between the uh, neurotransmitter space to be uh, more efficient and, and for the neurotransmitter to last longer. It also has been shown, uh, huperzine has also been shown to decrease the placking associated with Alzheimer's. So very simply, someone can start to have early signs of dementia or poor memory and inability to remember directions, and they can just, at at a very simple level, start taking some huperzine. And for for many people, just taking some of that um, and starting with a low dose and increasing to the point they have an effect can immediately impact their memory and their recall. And even if they don't have dementia, it only makes them more efficient throughout their daily life. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for calling. Thank you. All right. All right. So I'm going to take a question here from Facebook. This is Jen, and she writes, I'm 34 years old. I was recently tested with the Berkeley Heart Lab and was three or sorry, four slash four for APOE, which increases my risk for Alzheimer's. Um, It's also recommended to not have a higher fat diet. So what can I do to prevent this from setting in? And do you have any other recommendations? Well, the APOE 3-4 genotype is definitely going to dramatically increase risk for Alzheimer's and as well as many other chronic inflammatory diseases. So, But again, it's the, it's the genotype, and the genotype by itself is not the issue. It's the gene, genotype plus environment, which is the phenotype. So what this means is you have to take everything very, very seriously. And at the end of the day, the battle is to decrease inflammation. And when people have the APOE 3-4 uh, genotype, we know that making sure that homocysteine levels are not too high is a critical issue. So uh, you you at the very least want to make sure you check a serum homocysteine. And homocysteine levels typically should be, uh, in, in laboratory ranges, they should be less than 15, but the literature is showing that that range is way too extreme and that anything above 7 could be at risk for dementia. So if a person has a genetic risk for Alzheimer's or some of these APOE genotypes, then we really want to make sure that their homocysteine levels are are below 7. 
And then things like mm-hmm. folic acid and B12 and B vitamins can be very helpful to lower that, but you really want to make sure you you do a pre and post lab test to see if those things are reduced. But at the end of the day, with that genotype, you really want to do everything possible to decrease the potential expression of Alzheimer's. And it isn't just one thing. You can have hormonal issues promote degeneration. You can have uh, neuroinflammatory consequences to the glia. You can have mechanisms that deplete acetylcholine cause those issues. You can have glycosylated end products from uh, prediabetes cause those things. So everything that we talk about in the book as far as major mechanisms that cause brain degeneration actually apply to any type of genotype that is at risk for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. All right, good. And this is from Katie, and she says, I'm 34 years old. I have brain fog. I have a family history of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. I have difficulty remembering things I read. I'm really bad with names, and my memory issue has gotten so bad that I forget the things I did yesterday and even on uh, on a given day. I'm on a paleo diet. I take 6,000 milligrams of omega-3s daily. I just feel so out of, I feel out of it so much. I feel like I don't know what else to do. Please help. Well, Katie, this is very serious. If you're in your 30s and you have all these symptoms of that family history, chances are you're headed that way. And chances are that that your brain is already unhealthy. So there should be nothing more important in your life, maybe except taking care of your family and children, than preserving your own brain. So sometimes when things get this complicated, you really may need to just work with a trained healthcare professional. You really may need to have everything checked out. Now, The one area that most people just overlook is just gluten. It's a very simple thing. A lot of people don't realize what a profound impact being gluten-free can be on the brain. And uh, just from from reading Katie's question, there was no mention of being gluten-free. There was just mentions of taking some fish oils. Well, she says that she's on the paleo diet. Oh, that she's on the paleo. So the paleo diet may be helpful. Yeah. We want to make sure, first of all, she's not she's not cheating. So if she's not cheating and she's on the paleo diet and she's still going this way, she she will really need to work with someone because it's not a simple thing. And uh, and if you can't find anyone, that's the whole purpose again of the book. I mean, the the list of things that can cause brain fog and degeneration and pre dementia and pre Parkinson's is is pretty vast. So. Obviously, we know that diet alone may not be doing it for her and taking fish oils, so there could be other mechanisms. I mean, um, does Katie have some underlying anemia? Does Katie have some subtle neurological autoimmunity? Does Katie have an ongoing intestinal permeability from infections? Those are all real things that may not be accounted for just by doing a paleo diet and taking fish oils. So it just raises Mm -hmm. the concerns for what other things could be going on, but at that point, you really need someone to dive in and help investigate uh, those mechanisms um, because this is too serious to just uh, to wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Katie, go on and pick up Dr. Krasian's book. It's brainhealthbook.com, and I think you'll get a lot of answers there. And find a doctor who can do some testing and look for the root cause of what you're dealing with because you're, you're doing your best, girl, and you need to get, get some help with this. Um, okay. Dr. K, one thing I've noticed for myself is I really do get brain fog when I have high stress in my life. When I start to set boundaries, I took one more day off per week, i relaxing a lot more, taking walks, and just having downtime, I notice that my thoughts, my brain is just clear. I can just think a lot better. So what's going on with stress and its damaging effects on the brain? Well, stress itself is going to cause atrophy of the brain. That's just published. That's well known. So the more stress you have, the sooner your brain shrinks. Okay, stress itself destroys the blood-brain barrier. So the more stress you have, the more blood-brain barrier compromise you have, and then subtle inflammatory things in diet can really have a major impact on on brain. 
And then stress has been shown to degenerate the entire brain and cause atrophy, but it's very specific to the area of the brain called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is where Alzheimer's and dementia start, and this is where we have our long-term memory uh, recall. So we know that there's a point where stress tends to be way, way too aggressive. And a lot of times, obviously, life is real. You have to do all the things you need to do to get through the day. But you did something great. You took one day off. And uh, for me in my practice, if I can get patients just to take one day off from a busy week to not do anything, it seems to have a profound impact with them. So the one day off per week, they're not allowed to run errands. They're not allowed to have any appointments with friends. And if they do that, that seems to really, really calm the, the stress response down. And if that isn't doing it and they're in a position where they can't reduce their stress, sometimes taking things like adaptogens, like uh, panic ginseng or Siberian ginseng uh, or rodalia, those are things we talk about in the book. There's a whole chapter in the book on stress. Those things can maybe help the body uh, be a little bit more resilient to stress effects. But, you know, it's it's really a red flag when you have when you have so much stress that your brain function goes down. But I think it happens to every single one of us. I mean, there's times where we mm-hmm. just get too too involved with too many things at once and sometimes we crash and then it's an eye opener and sometimes uh we just have a little perspective and we make a change. But if that continues on and on, there's definitely going to be a consequence. The brain will atrophy, the blood brain barrier will break down, and the area of the brain associated with memory, the hippocampus will just degenerate very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there has to be changes made. Now, how about the hormonal effects on the brain? So we know that hormones and brain definitely communicate. So how do those two systems tie together? So within the brain, there's two types of cells. There are neurons, and then there are these cells called glia cells. And glia cells, uh, glia in Latin means glue, and glial cells are the immune cells of the brain. So hormones have effects on both neurons and and also on glial cells. And what that means is that when we have hormone imbalances, one of the earliest things that can happen, and this could be either low testosterone or low thyroid hormones or low estrogen or low progesterone, is any one of those hormone deficiencies have been shown to activate the glia towards an inflammatory state. So hormone deficiencies, first of all, increase brain inflammation and brain degeneration. And this is one of the areas very much researched with postmenopausal women because we know that as females become postmenopausal and their efficiency in hormone production becomes uh, somewhat skewed, especially if they have underlying endocrine problems, that there's very rapid neurodegeneration. So a lot of researchers have looked into this and they they find a direct correlation between uh, hormone deficiencies and uh, accelerated brain degeneration. Now, at the neuron level, uh, this is where we're dealing with synapses, we know that hormones have an impact on different neurotransmitter functions. So, for example, in females, estrogen and testosterone really have an impact on the acetylcholine, the memory pathways. Um, progesterone has a major impact on, on GABA uh, neurotransmitter activity, which is the calming down neurotransmitter. So we'll see sometimes when people have uh, hormonal deficiencies, they'll have, they'll have changes in personality, changes in the ability to concentrate, uh, increased anxiety or, or things of that nature. So we can't really separate these two systems. And I think one of the major failures in, in healthcare training, both in alternative and conventional, is that we've compartmentalized the body into different chapters as if the brain is separate from the endocrine system and, and the immune system is separate from the brain. And, and these are all connected systems. And we've really unfortunately learned about the human body in a very ineffective, inefficient clinical model. 
So we know that the brain controls hormones through the hypothalamic uh, pituitary axis, and then the brain responds to hormones. And these these two systems are, are very much ultimately connected. So one of the things that I also put out in the book was just this, this very topic, hormones and its impact on brain. And uh, many times if people have accelerated brain degeneration symptoms or the brain's not functioning, sometimes hormones is, is the mechanism that really needs to, to really be addressed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I see that a lot with patients who are coming in in their menopausal years, just the brain fog, the depression, just the issues with memory. And it's just, it's so amazing how the, the drops in the hormones affects their brain so significantly. Yeah, Absolutely. really profound stuff. So if you could, you know, step on a soapbox and just proclaim something to all doctors out there, what would you all, what would you want them to know regarding the brain and, and the work you've done? I would say stop blaming aging as all the symptoms associated with brain degeneration. Because what happens to a lot of healthcare practitioners when they see their patient, they just and they see that they're older and they can't focus and they can't concentrate, they just they subtly blame it all on aging. And it's not aging because as we age, we have the ability to get plasticity. We have the ability to make our brain more efficient. So as time goes on, we either lose brain function or we make our brain connect faster. So one of my... Um, you know, favorite people in the whole world to listen to is a guy named uh, Dr. Kendall, who won the Nobel Prize in, in medicine for his work in neurology and memory. And he's in his 90s. And if you hear him speak, he is, his brain is so profound. His synapses are so mm-hmm. fast that you're looking at a guy who's in his 90s who has unbelievable brain function. <laughs> so we know that aging alone isn't associated with decline and that when we see symptoms that many people associate with aging, like slowness of movement or inability to concentrate, inability to remember, that many practitioners just dismiss that as an age thing, but it's not age. It's loss of function in brain. It's neuronal loss. It's degeneration. So I think it's very important to to not uh, overlook those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What are some of your top tips for our listeners to stay sharp as a tack into our late years? Well, number one, you want to be physically active. So one of the things that we know is that when people exercise, there's a phenomenon that takes place in brain that no supplement, no medication can create, and that's the release of what's called brain-derived nerve growth factor, BDNF. And BDNF allows neurons to connect to each other much more efficiently. So just exercising tends to have profound impacts on releasing this chemical called BDNF. What they've also found, though, is the more intense a person exercises, that the more BDNF that they release. So, for example, if someone uh, walks in a treadmill for an hour casually watching TV and then someone just raises their heart rate to their maximum heart rate for only two to three minutes, the one that had increased increased high-intensity workouts actually releases more brain-derived nerve growth factor. So what they're finding is is exercise is absolutely critical to brain, and uh, the intensity does make a difference. Now, not everyone is able to do high-intensity exercise, but there is a point to saying if you're just casually exercising and it's a social thing, it may not be as impactful to the brain as if you were doing it more intensely. So one of the things to just keep the brain sharp for years to come is just to have exercise, and the more intense it is, the more it uh, preserves the brain. The second key thing is to use the brain, and you want to use the brain as many different ways as you can. So sometimes people you'll see have 
preferences to, to listening to certain types of music or doing certain things because they're good or bad at it. Uh, and we want to have diversity. So I'll give you an example. Years ago, my accountant came in as a patient. He was having some vertigo, and it was when I was examining him, one of the things I do in my examination is ask patients to count backwards from 100 using sevens. And this is a, a really quick assessment of what's going on with left um, brain function. And my accountant was unable to count backwards from sevens, which really kind of concerned me because he's, you know, he's doing my taxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when I, when I talked to him, I go, I, his name was Steve, and I go, how, how can you possibly not know how to count backwards during an account? And he had spent his entire career using a calculator, and he never did basic mathematical calculations anymore because he didn't trust himself. So as time went on and went on, this part of his brain became completely inefficient. So one of the things we want to do is we, we want to have diversity. We want to uh, look at um, logic. We want to look at art. We want to look at uh, different types of music, music that's repetitive, music that is like jazz all over the place. So we want to have as much diversity as we can. So we want to try to constantly learn new things. Um, the more things we try to learn, the, the healthier our brain becomes. Even just, just trying to learn a language, it doesn't matter if we actually learn it or not, the attempt of trying to learn a different language has profound impacts on helping our brain function. So, I mean, two of the most important things is just uh, exercise and constantly using the brain. Watching TV and not trying to learn new things and trying to understand concepts um, is very devastating for brain. Mm. Interesting. Why is that? Why is it de- devastating to watch TV? Well, because you're not uh, you're not really activating much. That when you look at brain activity, when people watch TV, it's in the lowest uh, wavelength activity. That it's not uh, mm-hmm. causing severe blood flow to brain. So, uh, mm-hmm. watching TV would be a lot different than reading. Reading lights up the brain at a much different level. Uh, thinking mm-hmm. through things and being cognitive activates the brain more. So when they do functional MRIs and they do different types of PET scans where they look at blood flow to brain, we know that the the more demanding the stimulus is to our brain, the more blood flow we, we get to our brain, the more neurotransmitter synapse. And as the brain gets blood flow and as the brain gets activity, it stays healthy, just like a muscle. If you don't use it, it just becomes weak. So we really want to challenge our brain. And even simple things like uh, jigsaw puzzles that can be challenging could be a phenomenal thing for brain. So so any mm. kind of brain little challenge, there's so many apps these days, things like Tetris, you know, yeah. things like Luminosity that people go to. These are all great things to just keep the brain uh, stimulated and healthy. So you're telling me my Scrabble addiction is good for me. Your Scrabble addiction is good for you, but it's also diagnostic, <laughs> meaning you're addicted to it for certain <laughs> reasons. Oh, tell me more about that. <laughs> So it really depends. Typically, sometimes when people are trying to activate a part of the brain more than other times, they 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 tend to crave the stimulus. So usually, with people that have left brain types of things, we we seem to see a, a really uh, high for doing things like scramble. And then usually, we also find timelining sometimes difficult for them, or they're very good at it, depending on what's going on with their brain. Either it's underactive or overactive. But uh, it's, it's really a left brain type of phenomena, and these word searches and scrambles, something we use sometimes for rehab if we have people that are bad at it. The easiest way to know what to do for your brain also is sometimes find out things you don't like or whatever you're not good at. If you don't like scramble, uh, scrabble or Tetris, that's probably what you should do. And then usually when people start to do it and their brain starts to wake up, they tend to really crave it. That's one of the things we see with uh, brain rehabilitation. They don't want to do it. They're bad at it. They hate it. They start to do it. The brain starts to wake up. They love it. You know, so I'm not really oh, sure what your history is, 
but that's uh, I like that. So so do what you're not good at. I think that's great. Just getting out there and trying something new, and that can actually be therapeutic for your brain. Absolutely. So if you're bad with balance, then you need to probably re- rehabilitate your balance centers. If you're bad mm-hmm. with math and numbers, then you should be doing math and numbers. If you're terrible with art, then you should uh, focus on art. If your handwriting is terrible, you should really focus on your handwriting. <laughs> or maybe even do mirror writing or write backwards. Those are all therapeutic for brain. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, one thing you talk about is the the role that brain injuries, like concussions, for example, that they can haunt you years or decades later. Tell us a little bit about that, and maybe what we can do if if maybe you know someone listening has had an injury in the past, what they can do to kind of offset some of that damage. So brain injury, you know, it's, it's a very serious and common consequence to to many people, and we know that when the brain gets injured, that these cells called glia get activated. And these glial cells really don't have an don't have an off switch. And what they do is they create this constant state of inflammation. And this constant state of inflammation can last for for decades and decades and decades. And they call this uh, post concussive encephalitis, where people just have an injury and their brain is inflamed for years and years. Just uh, recently, they you know found with Junior Seha, who you know the charger who committed suicide, when they did his autopsy, they found that he had post concussive encephalitis, where they thought chronic football head injuries really created chronic inflammation in his brain, which eventually led to him being severely depressed enough to kill himself. So we know that when people get trauma to brain, that their brain basically becomes inflamed, and that fire continues on for years and years and years and years. We also know that when people uh, get head injury, research has shown within the first three hours, they end up getting leaky gut syndromes. They get intestinal permeabilities. So that further creates this dysfunction in what we call the the brain-gut axis. The brain gets injured. It can't fire tears the brainstem called the vagus, so they can't get blood flow to the gut. They get a leaky gut. And then dietary proteins that um, they can't uh, digest well pass through the intestinal membranes, and then they cause further inflammation. And now you have this vicious cycle between the brain on fire and the gut on fire. And in those cases, like taking just like probiotics don't really make a big difference. You really need both the brain and the the gut to to be supported. There's a lot of things that can help dampen the brain. uh, And what you have to do is you have to dampen the glia. High amounts of things like turmeric, high amounts of things like resveratrol, high amounts of things like epigen and ludein, ludiolin, these are all flavonoids, I discussed them in the book, but these are things that can all dampen brain inflammation. And there's no dose, you have to do trial and error, you have to, you have to take enough of it to calm down the inflammation, it's kind of like, how much water do you use to put out the fire? Well, it depends on how big the fire is. So, when people have head trauma, a lot of times they're left with this this constant inflammatory brain, and they really just need uh, to experiment with high doses of glia dampening uh, compounds. Glia are those cells, again, that cause inflammation. And once they can get enough dose, a lot of times their brain fog goes away and they start to heal. But after they get that inflammation down, they really need to uh, use the brain in areas that were injured. So if they injured their balance centers of the brain, they need to start working on their balance. If they injured the areas of the brain involved with math and recall, they need to start doing math and recall. And those things are critical to make those connections between the brain to work efficiently again. In the current model, none of these none of these things happen. I was at the giving a, giving a lecture at this Institute for Functional Medicine um, conference, and I got to meet one of these professors from 
uh, Tufts uh, Medical School. And he was the professor at the neurology department, and we started to talk, and he specialized in head injury. And I go, so what do you do with head injury? And he goes, well, we basically observe them and uh, let them know when they can perform again. <laughs> and if they can't break out of their head injury, we give them what's called a dopamine agonist, which is a drug that stimulates your dopamine receptor, and that was about it. <laughs> and I go, well, don't you wow. know that brain inflammation is there? I mean, that's that's pretty well known. Don't you know there's lots of natural things that can dampen brain inflammation? He goes, yes, I know that to be true. But it's not part of our protocol, so it was just it was so just make shocking. it a part of your protocol, right? Yeah. It was, <laughs> make it a part of your protocal, but they don't. And, and this is one of the things that happens if people get head injuries. They go to some of the world's leading uh, neurology departments, and they get no applications to what's been published well in the literature. So when you yeah. see people that uh, don't get any help in in top institutions like that, you really get to worried. And this is why, again. The information needs to go directly to the public. This is part of the reason why I want to write this book. Because I wanted to write this book because many people just don't know what's what's out there because they're not giving any options from either conventional or alternative. Yeah, it's like a JJ Virgin. You know, she wrote the the Virgin Diet. Her son was in a very serious accident and had they her doctors his his doctors I should say were I think saying he would never walk again or talk again and all those things and he is like. It seems to me, from what I've seen on Facebook, at least, he's, like, fully functioning again. And she did mega natural medicine with him, you know, had brought all different kinds of natural healers in there and did all different kinds of, you know, high dose of nutrients. And it made a huge difference in his in his uh, recovery. Right. And, and, and it wouldn't be uncommon to have him dismiss all that as just coincidence, you know? This is the kind sure. of ridiculous world we, we live in. And also... How would they know the person we never walk again? I mean, this is uh, absurd unless you have a complete transverse lesion. A lot of times we have injuries, there's this complete potential for plasticity. Even people who have massive strokes and they have severe MRI changes, when they go to rehab, the neurons that are still healthy can connect with each other and function can be returned. So it's really naive for any doctor to tell a patient that their head injury or trauma may have consequences of no potential. The brain is plastic. Yeah. The brain has uh, phenomenal potential. So uh, it's just mm-hmm. sad to see that. Yeah, absolutely. We're designed to be healthy and our body can heal itself. So for you guys listening, last call for callers, 818-495-6919. If you'd like to la- ask a question, keep the phone lines open for a couple more minutes. Dr. K, this is a question from Shauna, and she says, I'm 27 years old and I get chronic migraines. I'm gluten-free, I exercise, I eat well, I don't want to use medication for it, so what can I do? Well, again, migraines and just just a couple suggestions I have in my life is not enough to really to say what to do because migraines mm-hmm. can be caused by so many various types of things, and we don't know if the... The migraines are um, coming with floaters or not floaters, if there's an aura or not an aura, if it's uh, ipsilateral, if it's bilateral, you know, if it's related to their hormone cycle, if it's related to other various things. So it's hard to answer that question. But at the end of the day, I just want to point out, sometimes we don't do a treatment for a specific condition or symptom that at the end of the day, Despite what the person has, whether it's migraines, whether it's brain fog, whether it's depression, we just look at all the major mechanisms that make the brain unhealthy. and We try to address each one of those if the patient has symptoms of. And our goal isn't to treat a single symptom with a single nutrient or a single intervention. The single symptom, single drug model, the single symptom, single natural medicine supplement is, is completely inefficient. 
So what's mm-hmm. more important is to look at mechanisms that impact the brain at all, all together. So migraines can be caused by uh, neurotransmitter imbalances. Migraines can be caused by imbalances in vascular tone and circulation. Migraines can be caused by areas of the brain that are firing inappropriately compared to other areas of the brain. So there's no like magic treatment for any condition or name. So one of the things that I don't do in the book and I don't do in practice is, is have a list of protocols for a list of conditions. So what I would encourage uh, Shonda to do is maybe check out the book. Each of the chapters in the beginning has a list of symptoms. So there's a list of symptoms for blood sugar stability, there's a list of symptoms for neuroinflammation, there's a list of symptoms for various things. And see if any of those symptoms at the beginning of the chapter apply to her, and then go through each one of those major mechanisms and try those suggested changes and see if she can change the health of her brain to see if those migraines can, can disappear. So that might be a more efficient way. At the end of the day, at the very least, those strategies will improve the health and function of a brain. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Dr. K, I, I really appreciate you being my guest on the show. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before we let you go? Well, I think the last thing I'd like to recommend, at least related to this topic, is if you have symptoms of poor memory, poor recall, you can't remember things like you used to, learning things is difficult for you, that it's not a personality thing. It's a brain-based thing. And no one is going to take your brain health seriously besides you. So these are all red flags. If you start to have these symptoms, then you're on a declining uh, scale down to neurodegenerative changes. And in practice where I get to see patients and stream, you always you would always hope that people would have done things in the early. And when they get more progressed, they, they wish the same thing. So mm-hmm. when you see that you are you know, unable to motivate yourself and, and be excited about things and, and have passion and to, to not be depressed and to have stable mental endurance all throughout the day, uh, if those things are not there for you, then the health of your brain is compromised. And if your brain is compromised, your entire performance, your whole potential, your whole your ability to, to perform as a parent, uh, as an employee, as a productive person in this world becomes compromised. So it's just so sad to see uh, potential taken away because the brain becomes unhealthy. So just take your brain health very, very seriously, and you can't wait for it to be a disease, and function is really, really critical. And if you lose function, the next stage is you, you develop degenerative changes in your brain that become neurological diseases. So... Uh, really, really pay attention to some of the symptoms uh, of brain decline if you haven't taken some strategies to to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Krasny, and I, I really appreciate you being my guest on the show, and thank you for saying yes to, to being on, and <laughs> I'm looking forward to coming to more of your trainings. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Have a Thanks wonderful night. Calling. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, you guys, that's the show for tonight. Thanks for listening. And uh, to my, my callers, or my, uh, so Catherine and uh, my questions from, from Jen and Shauna and Katie. Appreciate you guys uh, submitting your questions. And please check out Dr. Krasian's book. It's a wonderful book. It's really thick. It's like the brain Bible. Um, you can get that at brainhealthbook.com. And for next week's show, we have a different time. So normally my shows are Tuesday at 6. For next week, it's going to be Wednesday at 9 in the morning. <laughs> See you early birds although that's not really that that early. It's all about relationships. So I'm going to be interviewing Alison Armstrong. She's from understandmen.com, and she is all things men and all things relationships, and she is just the guru when it comes to relationships. So if you have any questions regarding your men in your life, 
just about you know your your relationship, whether it's with your 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 husband, your boyfriend, or even just dynamics with you know the men in your life, please submit a question to me. You can go to my website, drlaurennoel.com. Send me a message, and I'll get that. Um, put aside for the show so we can get that addressed on the air. And uh, let's see, what else? I think that's about it. If you guys are working with the doctor, um, or if you'd like to work with, with me, I work with patients locally here in San Diego. I also work with patients all over the country. So check me out, drlaurennoel.com. If you're having health issues, you're just not finding answers, please shoot me a message and we'll see if we're a good fit for each other. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will talk to you guys next week on the air. Thanks. Bye.